0: Listening to Best Served Cold, a Bore Millennials podcast. The Australian True Crime Podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime.
1: Formerly Egypt's 36th most popular true crime podcast, hosted by Tama Jay and Laura Lees.
0: Sit down, relax, grab a drink, and enjoy this week's episode. to the show what's going on
1: beautiful people
0: welcome to best served Cold, the true crime podcast where we drink wine and talk about crime i am one half of your show your excellent co-host laura elise and i'm sexy i'm cute i'm popular to boot i'm bitching great hair the boys all love to stare
1: dude look you got bars wow do
0: you know do you not know where that's from? Because no, if you don't know where that? it's from, I don't know if we can be together anymore. I
1: think I do, but like it's one of those things where I need you to explain it before I can be like,
0: oh, right. It's from Bring It On.
1: Right. Yeah, that, Okay. that makes sense. And I am the other half of the show, Tama J. The J is silent, much like me in a room with more than five people.
0: Oh, oh! you're hitting us with those <laughs> fire truths today. Wow. It's deep confessional. Just calling out my social anxiety. Thanks for that. Yeah. That's why we do this podcast together, because it's literally just the two of us in an empty room and no other human beings.
1: Yeah, but lately it's kind of like, the the further the show goes along, the more um, growth it gets, the more conscious I am of the fact that...
0: There's like a lot of people, people listening. listening to this. No, no, no. <laughs> it's,
1: it's weird. It's like...
0: Weirdly terrifying. Yeah,
1: because it's not live, so no one's hearing us, what we say live, but it's still like, there's like a lot of pressure and what we say and do and...
0: But in saying that, nearly every message I've gotten from someone who has taken the time out of their day to like message us on social media and say they like the show all say really lovely things. So like, I had one girl who messaged our Instagram today to say that she listens to the show while her and her mum cook dinner together, and that was just the most wholesome, lovely thing for someone to message me. I was like, I have literal heart eyes right now. Like, you don't even understand how... how, Because we're not, like, big famous podcasters. We're just two dickheads sitting in our spare bedroom with our three cats in Australia trying to survive a pandemic making this podcast that we just started on a whim because we're both obsessed with true crime and we had nothing to do for months because we couldn't leave the house. And it's kind of grown exponentially way more than we could have possibly thought. So...
1: yeah. Uh, And just to give a quick shout out to the people who got the code word last week. Yes. So just a quick shout out to Shannon McKenzie, Matt Papillon, uh, Josh McDonald, and...
0: Matt Stapleton, Stapleton. Ronnie Burns, and Kylie Masters. And I'm so sorry. And Tom from Twitter, he always listens. He gave me the code word as well. I'm so sorry if we miss someone because it gets really hard to keep track with various social different media social medias yeah really so if we if
1: you did give us a code word and you and we didn't call your name out i give you permission
0: to yell at me
1: and reach out to us on twitter facebook Instagram, whatever and we will give you a shout out next episode uh, but maybe yeah if
0: you stick around to the very very end. end of the episode where it gets a little messy because we both start to go a little delirious from having basically talked into a microphone for two hours We give a secret code word at the end and we'll give you a little shout out if you message us the code word.
1: Duh. I think we've only ever really gotten one message that was like relatively negative, but it was so bizarre that it was like... What was that? It was, I think a lady was saying how she's like, I was listening to your latest episode and now I'm done. Um, You should keep in mind for the future if you're going to make fun of America or blah, blah, blah people take offense of that
0: Where was that?
1: You haven't seen that? No. Yeah, well we it's we had a message on Facebook. It was um a woman who was saying something about how you shouldn't make fun of American viewers or whatever or, or America uh something to take in, in, in consideration and my first thought was what did uh, well, we say Well my
0: first thought <laughs> is if you're someone who is offended by anything that we've ever said on this show, chances are you are like a Karen or a Kevin because I would like to clarify if we've ever said a bad word about America or a bad word about boomers, it's not directed at you if you're not an asshole. Exactly. It's yeah. just that simple.
1: It's kind of like.
0: So, chances are, if you're offended by anything we say, you may be an asshole. Yeah. That may be time to have some little introverted you time, look at your life choices. And question, am I an asshole? <laughs> just who's it's the
1: just thought? It's just bizarre because I don't think we've ever really said anything that's been like, I think literally you are the a piece only, of shit.
0: I think the only thing we've... we. We've, words. I think the only bad thing we've ever said about America is we've said they Gun control laws are fucked, which yeah. is just fact.
1: Which, if you're offended by that, then maybe you should.
0: Again, maybe you are the arsehole. Yeah. Anyway, no, I've never seen that message before. I'm going to go yeah. read it now. But
1: it's just it's odd because I feel like we also make fun of ourselves a lot. We make we fun don't of take ourselves so much more than we do about more. America or most of who's this American. episode
0: is us talking about how shit we are.
1: Yeah, like we don't take anything <laughs> too fucking seriously, dude. Like, you know.
0: Our it's, cover photo on Facebook is literally bad reviews of the show. Yeah, like, that's how, yeah, exactly. We don't give um, a fuck. We like don't. It's, we really don't care.
1: Yeah.
0: But thank you to all the people that have left us lovely messages because it genuinely yeah. makes my day. This is like, like literally no
1: one message that we've ever received. And yeah. that's insane. To, to like the amount of messages we receive on the daily of people like reaching out to us saying, I'm just saying i love that they your like show, the show.
0: It's, Insane. it's very very and, cool and,
1: and it's so bizarre for us to City kids from Sydney, just getting people from Oregon and the states and Texas, even and um, Montreal. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy to 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 get these messages sent out to it's us. Very and cool. We, we very much appreciate it. Don't feel like if we if we rag on about these neck, we don't really rag on. But if we if we ever said any anything
0: bad of, about you, it's always said in yeah. In and gest. if we give
1: any light to all the negativity, just know that we appreciate the positivity more than
0: yeah. anything. Very you could, ever, you could true. So, just quickly, yes. because I'm mindful that while I don't mind if we ramble a bit at the end, I want to try and keep the intro short and cool. sweet. Because that's... Yep. Y'all came here to hear about some crime and beheaded corpses, exactly. so let's get straight to it. Yep. How's your week been, Tama?
1: Pretty dang sweet. I mean... It's been same old. We got a few new songs I'm doing with Juno, which if you are just tuning in with this episode,
0: Tama has a band.
1: I'm in a band. It's I'm pretty a shit. Pop band. No, Thank I'm you. kidding. It's
0: very good. They're <laughs> very good.
1: We've been working on a lot of music, and we have a single coming out soon. I'll give you guys details on that when we have more to come. How about you, Laura?
0: My week's been pretty good. Just getting back into a routine. I was not very well at the start of the week. Uh, so just trying to get back into a routine for the end of the week and work and gym and yep. yeah, I've got a couple of things I want to just, you know, vamp on at the end, but yep, we'll get to that. Totally. Um, housekeeping. Thank you again to Podcorn, Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. Hell yeah. Our first official sponsor and it's very cool to have, have a sponsor on the show. So thank you again to Podcorn for sponsoring the episode. We will be having some new merch coming out hopefully next week, depending how quickly I can get my shit together and do the designs. But I think this new range of merch is going to be really cool. So keep an eye out on our our socials because I will link them all when they're ready. But I'm very excited about them. I think those are the only housekeeping things for this week.
1: Yeah, I can't think of anything. I'm, I'm sure we will add it in if we remember it later on. But for now, let's just. Uh, yeah, jump I will in. say oh,
0: one. Yep. This is related to your story cool. though. Absolutely. If you're doing the same story we were talking about this morning. No. Oh well, I'll just go fuck myself then. <laughs> wow. What were you gonna say though? It was just a meme about the story that I thought you were gonna talk to popped up on my Facebook today. Well, let's and get I was a like, That's So weird. Let's get a little teaser. The, the Kaylee Anthony. Yes. Was the story that you were potentially going to talk about and I I saw a meme that popped up on my Facebook today and I was like how weird that we were talking about that this morning and
1: it is a very interesting story and I will tease it a little bit I might do it next week uh very interesting
0: surprise then I don't know what you're doing yeah all right so this
1: week is actually I was going to do Kaylee Anthony and um the the death of of her and her mother's involvement but another story kind of came into my field of view and just sort of popped up and I started researching this different subject and it was just so interesting like, I love it when that happens it was just it just gripped me and, and it's weird to say that about something that's so tragic but it really did uh, I think it's mostly I've just been really cons- really been interested in the psychological um, analysis of these people. Mm. and this this one is just a real kicker. So I'm talking about... Uh,
0: Sorry, I was just yep. super quickly going to say, we didn't run you through the cocktail we're drinking this week mm. because we tried to make the cocktail and it was not good. It's garbage. We'll, so we don't have a cocktail recipe for you this week because it was shite, but Tom well, will still give you the cocktail recipe I, yeah. after. Yeah. After his story, but we didn't like it, so that's why we're not really advertising it. So instead,
1: we're drinking Lynchburg lemonades, and and I'm on the daiquiris again because if
0: you listen to last week's episode, you'll know I quite enjoyed those. Yeah,
1: thank you guys for voting, but uh, we will give you the recipe. We did,
0: we did take your votes, and we did try it. It's just not good.
1: Yeah, she wasn't great. Anyway, and go. So the story I'm talking about is Stephanie Lazarus. So she was a woman who, at the age of around 23, I believe, became a police officer. A uh, pretty remarkable career and really vicious end of that Ooh, career. Okay. So she was responsible for the murder of a woman named Sherry Ray Rasmussen. Rasmussen...
0: That was my kindergarten teacher's surname. Really? Saying, yeah. Wow,
1: interesting. Rasmussen, Rasmussen had a Rasmussen. weird relationship with someone who was in Stephanie Lazarus's life, which we will go into at some point in the story. But just to give a little context... In 1986, Sherry Ray Musmussen was a 29-year-old living in a condo with her husband of three months, John Rudden. In a few short minutes, though, her life would meet a brutal end, which would result in a mystery that was unsolved for over 20 years.
0: Oh, I love these ones.
1: On the night of February 24, her husband came home to discover his new bride, who had stayed home from work that day after injuring her back during aerobics, bloodied beaten and dead from numerous gunshot wounds to the chest. But with the help of advancing technology, the Los Angeles Police Department's Cold Case Squad made some staggering discoveries. After running a DNA test on a bite mark on Rasmussen's body, they were left with a new likelihood. The perpetrator was possibly one of their own, Officer Stephanie Lazarus.
0: Also, whenever anyone says DNA test now, all I think is that Lizzo... Yeah, just 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 took a DNA test, turns out out, I'm 100% guilty. She was 100% that bitch.
1: Guilty on all charges. She was
0: that bitch. She killed someone. 100% that bitch.
1: So at the time of Russ Musson's murder, Lazarus had only been on the force for about two years or so. She was a parole officer. A patrol officer, sorry. In the course of her career, she became involved with the Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program, also known as DARE, ...as a training officer and visited her former junior high school. She served as a treasurer for the Los Angeles Women Police Officers Association for over five years. And she also offered to provide reliable round-the-clock childcare for any parents at the force who she worked with. At one point, she even started her own private investigation company called Unique Investigations. And after 20 years on the force, she'd been promoted to the high-profile, high-stakes art theft detail, which tracked stolen art and art forgeries.
0: What a random thing.
1: In April 2009, she was featured with the head of her department, Don Hitchick, with uh, in an LA Weekly's annual LA People issue. She told the paper that working the art beat inspired her to become an artist and had been taking oil painting classes. However, to jump back to 1986, she was working the streets as a patrol officer.
0: I thought you were going to say as like a sex worker. I was like, <laughs> whoa!
1: She had also come out of a long-term relationship with a man named John Rudden.
0: You're looking at me like I'm...
1: Because I'm- it was the name that I mentioned earlier.
0: Oh, apologies.
1: And it seems that she was none too pleased with his new wife.
0: Oh, dun, dun, dun.
1: Investigators had focused on the possibility that the crime scene was that of a robbery. Sherry Ray's car had been stolen. The silver BMW was discovered about 2 miles from the couple's house 10 days after the murder. Because stereo equipment was been has been stacked next to her body, police fixated on the possibility of a botched robbery. Their hunch was reinforced by events that occurred just days after the Rasmussen murder. A few days after that specific murder, two men had robbed a woman at gunpoint. A few months after the murder, they held another unsuspecting woman at gunpoint after she walked into a break in. Her house was just a few blocks from Rasmussen's house. Yeah. They were described as Latinos between five foot four to five foot six. They therefore emerged as the primary suspects in Rasmussen's death, but they were obviously never found. Other than the car, the only other object taken from the scene could have given investigators pause. The couple's marriage license was missing.
0: Weird. Okay.
1: A strange detail that only the cold case investigators really hit on.
0: Very strange detail.
1: Also undermining the random theft theory were the deep bite marks left by the assailant on Russ Musson's arm. Obviously something that doesn't exactly entail with a botched robbery. Yeah, 100%. After months of a stalemate in the case, Rusmussen's parents began holding press conferences, asking for people to come forward with clues and even offered a $10,000 reward for anything that would help them solve the case. During the initial investigation, Lazarus was only a blip on their radar. Despite repeated pleas from Rasmussen's father, Nels Rasmussen for the LAPD to consider that Rusmussen and Lazarus had both dated John Rutten and that Lazarus had turned up at the Glendale Adventist Hospital where Rusmussen worked as a critical care nurse and allegedly threatened her, saying, and I quote, if I can't have John, no one else will.
0: Yeah, that's never good.
1: Another confrontation had occurred a month before the murder when her father recounted, When Rasmussen had arrived home, she found Lazarus waiting for her inside her house. Ooh. Wearing her police uniform.
0: Ooh, no.
1: Just days before the murder, Lazarus had allegedly called Rasmussen and threatened her. Rasmussen had told her father that she thought the officer had been stalking her on the streets. At the time, Mr. Rasmussen's allegations were dismissed and they even told him and this is a direct quote, to Mm. stop watching so much television. (laughs) Right. Yep. He wrote letters to the head of the the police department at the time, a man named Daryl F. Gates. His pleas for the department to take a second look at the case went unheard, and after five years, he just decided to give up. Now... His reports had been dismissed as products of viewing too much crime fiction, but the discovery led to new charges against Lazarus would have been perfect for an episode of, you know, Law and Order or Cold Case, one of those kind of TV shows. But in February 2009, the Cold Case Squad, with time now on its hands due to the dwindling number of murders in the area, reopened some of their old cases. So if you remember that during the time, this was a huge thing, Mm. you know. Uh, murder cases had dropped down. Unfortunately, mass shootings were on the rise, but... Investigators ran DNA tests on and on all the old evidence, including the bite marks on Rasmussen's body. The DNA testing revealed that the suspect had to be a, at least a woman disposing the linkage to any of the other robberies. At the time... Of the initial investigation, Lazarus had been duly interviewed but never pursued as a likely suspect. The LAPD officers working the case were now faced with an uncomfortable prospect. A person working literally next door to them, as Lazarus's department and the cold case department were situated across the hall from each other, was now their prime suspect.
0: Always close to home.
1: After a day of following Lazarus around, they nabbed a discarded item with her saliva on it and it proved to be a match. Oof. On June 5th, they, the announcement of the arrest of Stephanie Lazarus in the 23-year-old case sent an immediate uproar through the press and the lapd
0: yeah would have
1: she'd been sitting in her third floor office when she was told that a suspect in custody in jail might have information on one of her cases she immediately left to check on the suspect however in accordance with policy to get through jail security she had to surrender her weapon this of course was a trap Once disarmed, the 49-year-old police officer was arrested. The announcement stunned the police department and one veteran officer told the LA Times, Never in my wildest imagination would I ever think she could have done something like this. We drank beers. She was always quick to give you a hug or to tell a joke. She had also been described as bubbly and vivacious in a story about her private investigation firm, Unique Investigations, in the Ventura County Star in 2000. She was the type who made homemade soaps and chocolate-covered cherries to give her neighbours at Christmas. Isn't that lovely?
0: I love how you looked at me when you said that. I've never made handmade soap.
1: That's not what I was insinuating at all. Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) I thought you were looking at me like that sounds like something you would do. I was
1: looking at you because it's like this person fucking killed someone and she's doing cutesy shit. Anyway, other details about Lazarus began to appear on the internet and she was nicknamed spaz or spazerous for her (laughs) erratic behaviour when she became flustered or angry.
0: Wow. You're not allowed to say those words anymore. No,
1: No, definitely not. I'm
0: so curious to see where this is going. Because it's like... Oh, yeah. We have a resolution so early on.
1: So, Nels Rasmussen held a press conference the day of her court appearance and told the press corps that what he'd been telling the LA Police Department all along, the likeliest suspect is one of your own. He recounted for the LA Times the numerous attempts he made to try and get the LAPD to take a closer look at, the one of the, at Lazarus, their police officers, as one of their own, mm. the jealous ex-girlfriend of his daughter's husband. The Russ Marson family attorney was quoted as saying they bel- provided information on the first day that there was a woman who was problematic. He added that the family is extremely pleased and relieved with the arrest of Lazarus. After Lazarus's arrest, new details began to emerge. One key piece to the puzzle was missing. The gun used to shoot Rasmussen three times in the chest. The LA Times reported that Lazarus had called the Santa Monica Police Department a few weeks after the murder to report that...
0: Her gun was missing?
1: Her car had been broken into near the Santa Monica Pier.
0: And her gun had been stolen?
1: She reported a stolen gym bag, money, clothes... And her gun her thirty eight caliber handgun. see
0: she knows what she's doing.
1: The two departments never put two and two together.
0: see this is what blows my mind. Yep. You are smart enough to report your car being stolen and your gun your car being broken into and your gun gets stolen. You're smart enough to do that to cover up where your why your gun has yep. suddenly gone, but dumb enough to fucking bite him her her sorry yeah to bite her to bite like her. however leaving this
1: was during ugh. a time where i think dna testing was a bit
0: rough yeah but they could still as we know I from the bundy could, case yeah. they could still was this before or after bundy
1: this was i think it was after bundy yeah, actually yeah so
0: they know that they had a very famous case where they tested a bite mark
1: true yeah
0: and you're dumb enough to anyway you do anyway. stupid things in rage i guess
1: 23 years later The break-in looks like a cover-up and police now believe that she ditched the gun in the uh, the Pacific Ocean. The crime scene was more gruesome than originally revealed to everyone involved. Russ Musson's head had been bludgeoned after death. Jesus. She had wounds on her wrist that indicated she'd most likely been tied up. A robe laying on the floor nearby had bullet holes in them and it appeared the killer used it to muffle the shots. After the murder might have been averted, saying saying that the murder might have been averted had a maid working in the nearby apartment who'd heard screams called the police. However, she didn't. Because, Mm. of course. Lazarus could have been apprehended much earlier.
0: I wonder if that maid was like an undocumented... Because so often... Oh, yeah, migrant, for sure. Migrant, like illegal immigrant workers find cash-in-hand jobs doing cleaning and stuff. And so they the would police. probably be fucked. the last pers- people to call the police. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So the DNA had proven to be a woman's in 2005, but the investigators hadn't realized that the original suspects were male at the time. When the case came up for a re-review in February... They realised the mistake and a secretive four-month investigation was launched. The DNA from the bite mark pointed directly at Lazarus. The test indicated that there was a 1.7 sextillion to one chance that the DNA belonged to someone other than Stephanie Lazarus.
0: What was that number, I'm sorry?
1: 1.7 sextillion to one. That is 17... Followed by 20 zeros.
0: I was just going to look it up. I'm so glad you wrote that down. Yeah. 20 zeros. 20 zeros. Jesus. It was so was anyone a million, else apart from her. A million has six zeros. A sextillion has 20. Jesus.
1: Something like that. <laughs> um, as soon as the match was made, a team of more than a dozen LAPD officers secretly planned a Lazarus's arrest. And now this is the thing that really gripped me was Mm -hmm. the interrogation of her. Okay. So in a covert operation with an intense degree of risk, Detective Lazarus worked directly across the hall from the investigators investigating her for murder. So it's hard to describe the video because it's out there. You can look it up right now. Yeah. There's analysis on it. But they essentially pulled her in for a questioning just of, you know, cop to cop. Yeah. They couldn't film it as an interrogation. They couldn't read her Miranda rights because then it would throw them off. Mm. So they secretly held an interview with her using like a body cam or a secret camera mm. to film her in during this discussion. And it's one of the most interesting pieces of evidence that will come across. So, I'd urge someone, everyone, to look up that video because it gives a lot of details into who she is and this whole thing that kind of, you know, got her got the, the verdict guilty. So, while plotting Lazarus's arrest, detectives feared she might be wearing her service weapon. So, mm-hmm. Ruben, um, a reporter who was reporting on the entire thing, he explained that that the detectives. Um, just to give a context, detect- that was reporter Joel Rubin, who was, um, I think he worked for the LA Times. He explains that the detectives came with the plan to disarm her before they began to visit from a, began a, visit from a fellow detective. Yeah. So he was quoted as saying she's approached by a colleague uh, who says, hey, I just got word that over the weekend an arrest was made and the person is telling us they have information about one of the cases you're working on. So, like I said before, Detective Lazarus makes her way towards jail where she thought a suspect was waiting. Uh, But if the detective was armed, she would have to remove her weapon before interviewing the suspects. She's quite smart. It is very smart. She walks through the security point at which point she's confronted by robbery slash homicide detectives who say, Stephanie, we need to talk to you. Unarmed and unaware that she is a suspect, Lazarus sits down in front of a hidden camera still thinking the subject they need to talk about is an art theft, but not for long. So I wanted to read a bit of a transcript from the actual movie because, like I said, this is the most interesting piece of evidence that there is. There's most of it, she's not in frame and then she moves back into a seat and you see her full facial expression. And it is so perplexing. It is so interesting. It's it's why I chose to do the story.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So what I actually might get you to do, Laura, is help me out to do like a little dramatization of.
0: Ooh, dramatization. Um, we love it. Yeah. We love it. Okay, so I'll I'm to get you to read my my. Stephanie. I'm gonna get my. Actress I'm not going to go method I'm just okay. going to read it in my voice
1: I'll get you to do Stephanie Lazarus's okay. part. I can do that Okay so you got that You got the notes in front of you
0: I've got the notes in front of I've me i sent you
1: a copy pre I'm weirdly nervous Show. I don't know why <laughs> Okay So I will be reading the parts Of, the, of the, the detective Do you know Joe Rudden?
0: Yeah I mean we dated You know What is this all about?
1: Well it's relating to his wife Okay Did you know her?
0: Not really
1: Did you ever meet her? I don't know. You dated John. How long did you guys date?
0: I mean, why you guys... Is this something... I mean, you said it was going to be an interview about art. I don't understand why you're talking about some guy I dated a million years ago.
1: Well, do you know what happened to his wife?
0: Yeah, I know she got killed.
1: Did you ever meet his wife? Well, one of the concerns I had were as we're looking at some of the notes is some of Sherry's friends said that you and her were having a problem because of John's situation and words were being exchanged and it's all relating to John.
0: You know what? I, I, I just, I can't say. You can't say? No, I, that, that doesn't even ring a bell.
1: And finally, an hour into the interrogation detectives get down to the tough questions. Did you ever fight with her?
0: You mean like we fought?
1: Did you ever duke it out with her? Or?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: You'd remember that, right?
0: Yeah, I would think so.
1: And that ends our little dramatization, but uh, there's one more part I'll get you to read out, Laura, just at the end there. So by now, there's really no doubt about what's going on here. So read the last part for me, Laura.
0: I mean, if you guys are claiming I'm a suspect, then you know I got a problem with that. I'm shocked. I'm really shocked that somebody would be blame saying that I did this. I mean, we had a fight and so I went and killed her. I mean, come on.
1: Yeah. So, again, I urge you to watch this video because it, it, it provides so much more context than I can really provide in like a half hour, 40 minutes. Uh, you know, I'd love to just have a whole episode where I just go about this one interview because it starts off so casual Um, You know, they're talking about, like, what's your... Did you ever date this guy? Yeah, it starts off... And 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 then I think she
0: kind of, like, clues in and she's like, oh, shit, they've got me.
1: Because they had to plan for literally months for this interview. Because she's a fucking detective of over 20 years. Yeah. For their own private investigation firm. She knows what the fuck is up. So they had to be super casual with this shit. Anyway... Later on, they walk out of the room and Lazarus is arrested and handcuffed only to be brought back in and read her Miranda rights. Now, I think the only reason that legally they could use the pre-existing footage before they read her, her Miranda rights is because it was used as surveillance footage. Okay. Not interrogation footage. Yeah, right. It's just two cops, you know, talking the shit, you know, yeah. in the bush. On June 2009, more than two decades after Sherry's death, Detective Stephanie Lazarus was charged officially with the first-degree murder of Sherry Ray Rasmussen. However, her defense attorney, Mark Overland, says the state's case against her client is no slam dunk, in fact. On June 9th of the same year, Stephanie Lazarus appears in court in an orange jumpsuit, appearing obviously distressed with her eyes wide open. She only speaks once during the whole hearing, uh, answering the judge about her continuance, stating just, yes, Your Honour. Now, she was held in jail for a couple of years after that, until March 9, 2012, actually.
0: Okay. What, until without the, being convicted? Officially
1: convicted. So, she was found guilty officially on first-degree murder during her testimony in... in uh, during testimony heard prior to sentencing um, in this 2012 hearing, Joe Rutten, who is the husband of Sherry and the estranged lover here, was uh, quoted as saying, the fact that Sherry's death occurred because she met and married me brings me to my knees. On May 11th, Lazarus was sentenced to 27 years in prison with credit for time already served, she will be eligible for parole in a couple of years now, I think.
0: When was long. she sentenced?
1: 2012, you know.
0: So in 2030s?
1: Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Maybe like... Yeah, over 10 years at least. And that's... Pretty much it, you know. I, w- I would love to absolutely go into and like read the entire transcript of the interview because it's it. That's as I said, it's it's the reason why I chose this yeah case because it goes unnoticed for like what twenty three years.
0: Yeah, that's a long time. Her. Yeah,
1: and these two these two detectives they're incredible. They pull her in. They're joking. They're laughing.
0: Very chill. They're
1: very chill. And then they amp up the pressure ever so slightly and she freaks out. Yeah. She admittedly freaks out. Like um, you watch her facial expressions when they're talking about like the stolen car mm. and what car did Sherry drive? What car did you drive? And she's like She's like I shit. can't remember. There, I know. The the channel I watch often reviews um a psychological analysis of how criminals are reacting to interrogations. And her reaction to a lot of what they say is like this feigned recollection. They ask like, "Do you remember his what? Like your ex boyfriend's wife's name?" And he's like, "Oh, what was her job? Oh, what car does she drive?" Uh, and then it was like, once it gets to a question where she actually genuinely needs to re- recollect what, what the information is, she then switches from this faking recollection to a real recollection.
0: Because don't they say I'm and <laughs> I literally just did it as I went to think. They say that when you're genuinely trying to recall a fact you look up and left I'm pretty sure. So,
1: the, for, so for her it was like this this like lip intern thing where she's like smacking her lips kind of thing.
0: But you just did it then also you looked up and left.
1: Yes. But she didn't do that. No, Until... but I think it's
0: a. I think it's a psychological thing. Like when you're genuinely trying to recall a fact, because it's almost like that's. I could be remembering this incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure. No, I think you're right. The it's... part of your brain where the memories are stored is at that area, so you subconsciously look almost towards the area yeah. to assist. And then it's you with like the other way
1: around. It's like when you're imagining or trying to like f- falsify information or create a nav- narrative is like you're looking up to the right or down to the right, yeah, like down there. So the difference for her was she was like um, eyes wide open, you know, looking around, lips kind of in turn. And then there's this last question that he gives her where she genuinely knows the answer to, but she's her like her brain's going, oh, I know the answer to that, you know? And, and that's not a suspicious yeah. question. Anyway, it's a fucking fascinating interview. It's one of the reasons why I'm I'm obsessed with psychology and it's so interesting criminal psychology. It's just
0: so so interesting. Yeah,
1: and that's it. That's the case of how Lazarus murdered her
0: ex-lovers. Stephanie Stephanie Lazarus. Lazarus.
1: Yeah, Lazarus. Very nice. Um, Murdered her ex-boyfriend's newlywed wife of three months or so. I think it was. Three gunshot wounds, a bite mark, and severe head trauma with the right. blunt of a, of a that's gun. That's some
0: um, that's some serious rage as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, she, she was seen months earlier coming to to Sherry's place of work, threatening the killer, her, threatening her life. Yeah, threatening her fucking life. It's
0: just not what you do if you're planning on murdering no. someone. Take it from two people who talk about murder. All this podcast really does is makes me fairly confident that if I did want to murder someone, I could quite possibly get away with it. Because that's all we do for like two hours a week. We talk about how people get caught for murdering other people. It's very strange knowledge to have in your head.
1: Kind of just like, it it makes me want to like study psychology. Criminology, yeah. So I could like... Become a consultant of some sorts.
0: I actually have a friend who lives in the... She used to live in Australia. She now lives in UK who has done a full degree in criminal psychology and she is current... Oh, she's finished her first crime fiction novel. Wow. She's writing her second. And she would actually be really interesting to have on the show one day just Absolutely, to yeah. chat, interview... That would be cool. Let That'd us know if that cool. would be actually something you would be interested. Yeah, in for sure. Doing, and up. I can hit her up and see if she'd be keen to do an interview.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's the story. Um, let me know any very your thoughts, cool. you guys. If you guys have heard of that story before, if you like these kinds of stories, because I fucking adore like researching these types of yeah. stories.
0: Isn't it so weird? I was actually talking to someone, a listener on Twitter, about this the other day, like how hard it is to find descriptive words to use when you talk about this stuff because you don't want to be like, oh, my favourite serial killer because it's like, well, they're really horrible people. Yeah. So it feels weird to be like my favourite killer, like my favourite murder. I
1: don't think it's a matter of like, it's a favourite murder, but it's a murder that fascinates you in the sense that yeah. a human being has to of But it's like when you're like, oh, that. I
0: find the story of Jeffrey Dahmer amazing. And it's like, well, no, like, yeah. you know, the story of like... I've suddenly lost the names of anyone who's achieved anything great in this world. But Jeffrey Dahmer is not someone that you want to attach the word amazing to. No, but it's very hard to attach to find. people
1: like Chadwick Boseman. Yes, there we go. Chadwick Boseman
0: was amazing. Jeffrey Dahmer, not so much.
1: Filmed several but, movies while he was sick with cancer yeah, and also what a spent crazy, time with actual cancer patient children. What
0: a cool dude.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll jump off to a quick ad break. For our, this week's sponsor. Sponsor, Podcorn. and we'll
0: be back. Bye.
1: Bye. Laura, we got a bit of a dilemma here.
0: What's going on?
1: So, with every week with these new cocktails we're making, it's without us making money off the show, it's kind of hard to justify making a new cocktail every single week. You True.
0: Know? We do go through some spirits, and they can be expensive. Oh,
1: yes. So, we need a solution of some sorts, and...
0: Well, Tama, I may have the solution for you. Wow! Have you heard of Podcorn? I
1: have not.
0: So Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasters to all different sorts of sponsorship opportunities. You can do host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and much, much more. And the best part is, is there's no middleman. So you're basically in the driver's seat. You control the price that you want to put on your ads, what companies you want to work with, and everything else in between.
1: I'm only just learning this now, but apparently you never give up any of your rights to your podcast and Podcorn is here to support you as a creator at every step and ensure that you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for your brands. And protection of your creative rights, especially on the internet, is something that all creatives have been worried about at some stage or another. The Marketplace mission is here to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how we and when we monetize.
0: And... They'll keep us in cocktails week in, week out.
1: Bruh, tequila's expensive.
0: Especially the good kind.
1: Especially the good kind. So thank
0: you, Podcorn, for supporting us and supporting podcasters of all shapes and sizes across the internet. You can learn more about Podcorn by clicking the link that will be in the show notes.
1: Thank you for sponsoring the show, Podcorn. Okay.
0: And welcome back to We're the back. show. I am really nervous about doing this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm about as nervous about doing this one as I was when I did Bonnet. Only because, again, it's one of those stories that there are so many rabbit holes that if you just go onto the Reddit thread and look up conspiracy theories, it's just you could literally spend days, weeks, months reading All the different theories, all the different weird little tidbits, all the different things that you can't actually differentiate. Like, is there actually evidence to back this up or have you just made this up? So, if you didn't see the title, today we're talking about Kurt Cobain. So, I mean, this is less of a true crime and I guess more of just a flat out conspiracy theory. We're sort of moving more into the uh Lisa Lamb yeah. type thing. So this is
1: It's a possibility of being a true crime story.
0: Yeah, but this is one where it gets a little bit more conspiracy theory esque. Sure. Yeah. Because you're talking about someone potentially actively murdering him rather than a Lisa Lamb, which is a potential accidental murder.
1: Yeah. I mean I mean the same could be said about McCann or You know,
0: whatever. Oh, 100%. But this is also one that people get very passionate about. Yeah. So I'm just going to do my normal disclaimer. Uh, We always do our best with researching, Mm -hmm. but we are but a team of two people and we only research our own stories so we don't help each other research our stories. So technically, it's a team of one. And I did a lot of research and tried to get as much detail as I possibly could into like a 30-minute Segment. Yep. So, strap on your tinfoil hats. We're jumping into the conspiracy theory yeah. of the murderer slash potential suicide of Kirke And
1: regardless of opinion, this is just all facts or what we can find.
0: Yeah. So basically, I've tried to only include things that I could verify as being factual. Yeah. Also, the opinions of people who are directly involved with the case, rather than random people from the mm-hmm. internet. So everyone knows the story of Kirk Bain, but there were a lot of things leading up to his death, as well as the conspiracy theories and evidence that support some of the theories behind his death that I didn't know about, and so I'm assuming that a lot of people also didn't know about. So I'm going to super briefly run you through, I guess... life of Kurt Cobain leading up to to his death, just to give a little background on sort of the few weeks and months prior to his suicide. And then I'm going to focus on the couple of days much closer to his death, as well as um, some of the potential odd things about his death and the theories that surround it. So if you've been living under a literal rock, and somehow don't know who Kurt Cobain is, or was, rather. He was the lead singer of the iconic grunge band Nirvana, and he and the band as a whole basically helped shape the music scene of the 90s and remain one of the best-selling bands of all time. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: As many know, Kurt had struggled with mental health as well as drug addiction for most of his adult life, and this had intensified with the success of Nirvana and the subsequent floodlight, which was suddenly focused on him because Nirvana basically went from a relatively unknown band to absolute stardom yeah, in, in a very in a short, short space of time. time. Yeah. So throughout most of his life, he'd suffered from chronic bronchitis as well as ongoing chronic pain from stomach issues, which were never diagnosed. And this appears to be what first led to him trying drugs when he tried pot for the first time at age 13 and then regularly used it for his entire adult life. He also began experimenting with hallucinogenics like LSD, later moving on to heroin, which has been documented as being sometime in 1986 was the first time someone can document him purchasing heroin. He used it sporadically for several years, but ultimately developed a pretty debilitating addiction and was quoted as saying that he used heroin to self-medicate his stomach issues. It started with three days in a row of doing heroin and I don't have stomach pain. That was such relief. That was a direct quote from Kurt regarding his heroin use. It was noted around 1992, his drug use began to affect his life, including performances with the band, infamously including a performance on Saturday Night Live where for the promo shots, Kurt had done heroin prior to this and kept falling asleep during the shoot. So on March 1st, 1994, after a tour stop in Germany, Kurt was quite unwell and was diagnosed with bronchitis and laryngitis. He flies to Italy for treatment and is joined by his then-wife, Courtney Love, on March 3rd. On the morning of March 4th, Love awakes to find Kurt has overdosed on a mix of champagne and Rufalin, otherwise known as Rufies. He was rushed to the hospital and released after five days and returned to his home in Seattle. Love has been quoted as saying that she believes that this is Kurt's first genuine suicide attempt. Kurt had previously suffered from near fatal overdoses, but it was believed that these were all accidental up until this point. So on March 18th, Love calls the police, saying that Kurt has locked himself in a room with a gun and was threatening to kill himself. However, when police arrive and confiscate his guns and several bottles of pills, Kurt states that he wasn't suicidal and he was actually trying to hide from Love. On March 25th, an intervention is organised for Kurt's drug use. Initially, he reacts badly and violently and locks himself in a room again, However, later agrees to go to a rehab facility and undergo a detox. Kurt arrives at a recovery center in LA on March 30th, 1994. Friends say that while they visit him there, he seems to be in relatively good spirits and, he has no, and there's no indications that he's sort of in a negative frame of mind or suicidal in any way. He spends his days talking to counselors about his mental health issues and drug issues as well as playing with his daughter Frances. So that night, Kurt goes outside to have a cigarette, and then he climbs the six-foot-high brick wall and essentially makes a grand escape from this rehab center. He takes a taxi to the airport and flies home to Seattle. One interesting tidbit that I did find on the internet was that Kurt Cobain infamously had, uh, I don't want to say hatred, but I guess rivalry with the band Guns N' Roses. Particularly, he hated Axl Rose. Rose. One of the band members from Guns N' Roses was on that same flight that Kurt was on. And he was quoted Ah. as saying he remembers seeing Kurt and he remembers that Kurt was really lovely and polite and happy and seemed genuinely happy to see him, which this band member said he found really odd. And he was quoted as saying that after... Like, this was a quote after Kurt's death, but he said that all his senses told him that something was wrong. Okay. Which is interesting, but then you kind of like, once you know, it's like when someone plays you a garbled recording but tells you what's in it, you can suddenly hear what's in it. But there's
1: many factors to anything to do with
0: that. It's kind of like once you know that someone is suicidal, obviously that casts that light on all your previous reactions, interactions with them.
1: You call into question, like, all these different things. Like, oh, here's an answer to that.
0: But I just thought it was an interesting... Yeah, for sure. So, after several days of Kurt being missing, Courtney Love hires a private investigator to try and locate him after he's spotted in numerous different locations around Seattle. On April 8th, 1994, Kurt's body is discovered in the greenhouse of his Seattle home by an electrician who had come to install a security system. Originally, the electrician thinks that he's on the floor sleeping because he can't see any outward signs of trauma or injury, but he then sees blood coming from Kurt's ear and then shortly after sees the shotgun and calls the police. A suicide note is found on site in a flower pot with a pen struck through it addressed to Boda, who was Kurt's childhood imaginary friend. In the note, Kurt states that he hadn't felt the excitement of listening to as well as creating music along with really writing for so many years now. Huge amounts of heroin and traces of diazepam are found in Kurt's system and it's estimated that his body had been at the house for approximately three days prior to it being found, with his death officially estimated to be April 5th, 1994. He was only 27 at the time of his death. Which is a whole other conspiracy theory of the 27th Club, Club. yeah. Which we are not going into today, but could be an episode <laughs> all On of its own. own.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Now, being that there was a suicide note and a shotgun found in his hands, as well as Kurt's long history of mental health issues and struggles with drug addiction, it seems pretty cut and dry that his tragic death is a suicide. However, since his death over 25 years ago, uh, rumours have persisted that his life came to an end by the hands of someone else. And like Jean-Benet, it's a little bit all over the place in terms of talking about the suspects and the odd things about the case. So I'm going to try and present it in the best way that I can in a way that makes sense, but it's kind of, there's not really like a timeline that you can talk about these things so the biggest thing that a lot of people point out were the sheer level of drugs in Kurt's system when the toxicology report came back so as part of the documentary soaked in bleach dr cyril wecht was contacted to review some of the information associated with kurt's death Dr. Wecht has extensive experience in forensic pathology, so he isn't like some random quack off the internet. Like he actually knows what he's talking about. But it is also worth noting that his investigation was conducted as part of the documentary years after Kurt's actual death. So Wett was quoted as saying that he had never seen a case of someone with such an exceptionally high level of heroin in their system who was able to do what Kurt did. Quote, It does not make any sense at all from a psychological, neurological, or sociological standpoint. Number one, that he would inject himself with such a huge amount of heroin and then take all the assembly used to inject the drug, clean them and carefully put them back into the special little case. The needle, the syringe, and then set it aside and then in this state of bliss and contentment, which is why these drug addicts take these drugs, to then pick up the shotgun and shoot himself. It is just absurd. Most of these people die with the needle still in them, the tourniquet on their arm or the needle and syringe lying close by or they recover after a state of unconsciousness, or they are resuscitated if someone is called to the scene. But for someone to make this injection and then take everything apart and put it back into a case carefully and take a shotgun and shoot themselves, it is just, I have never seen anything like that, unquote. And I did look up the crime scene photos because there are a few that were publicly released. And you can see that there's like a little cigar box with sort of religious imagery on top and everything is put back in the box and carefully cleaned. Like the spoon, right. the needles, the tourniquet, it's all like carefully undone and put back in this little yeah box.
1: Just to provide for the devil's advocate here, this is a highly advanced heroin addict we're talking about.
0: He does note that people with severe addictions like Kurt can develop an incredibly high tolerance to the drug. However... The levels found in Kurt's system indicate even someone with an incredibly high tolerance would have been left in a state of semi-consciousness incredibly quickly. Okay. He had... Oh, I should have written the exact figure. It was like 1.35 milligrams per litre of blood. Wow. Just like a ridiculous amount of heroin. Right. Like...
1: And that was... He thinks it was all within one... Essentially, or just over a period of time, I imagine somewhat. I'm, you know,
0: I can't say I know that much about how long heroin remains in your system, yeah. or in terms of a toxicology report, so I'm not going to comment on that. And
1: that's the thing about this, these kind of cases it's like, it's a he said, she said, like, I believe this, I believe well, that. Well, he
0: said a professional forensic psychologist who's for sure. been in the business yes. for decades,
1: absolutely, but just to you know, provide like I said, the devil's advocate in this case.
0: but it is when you when you I think the thing that makes it odd is when you put it in the perspective of someone who's planning on killing themselves, you're maybe not worried about putting your heroin needles away. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and he also makes the point of like the reason people take heroin is because it puts you in this state of ecstasy.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a debilitating drug. It's something that you take. That but it
0: also makes you happy. It doesn't increase.
1: Yeah, your feelings of it, depression. You don't. It, I, but from, again,
0: it's all it's all speculation.
1: From what I understand about the drug, it's a drug that completely debilitates you. You just yeah. don't do anything.
0: Yeah, you just kind of like lay back Pass in a state fuck, yeah. of absolute
1: exactly exactly nirvana. Exorcism.
0: Ironically. Yeah. So, the position of the shotgun is also something that many people have pointed out as being very odd. So, they have done sort of a... It's not actual photos of the crime scene. It's a its a correct recreation of the crime scene. Like a 3D map. No, it's like a human has pretended to be Kurt Cobain and they've redone the oh, crime right. scene Oh, right. Okay, cool. So, you can see Kurt is lying on his back with the gun on top of his stomach... The muzzle is sort of sitting on his sternum and then the kind of trigger for the gun is kind of like on his crutch, basically. And Dr. Wecht has said that he believes that this is a strange placement, particularly for suicide by shotgun. Considering how long a shotgun is, many say it would have been physically impossible for him to pull the trigger from this angle unless he used his toes, but his shoes were on. Interesting. Interesting. And this is one of the points that he believes not necessarily points to it being a cover-up by the police or anything like that, but he thinks it was ruled a suicide far too quickly. And these things, like the gun placement, were things that weren't investigated correctly, which could potentially lead to it being pointed as a homicide, not suicide. A lot of people also point out that the gun was not fingerprinted until, like, weeks after his death and as many as four other sets of partial prints were found on the gun, but no matches were ever made. The gun was a Remington Model 11 20-gauge shotgun, and it was purchased for Kurt by his friend Dylan Carlson's and was never in Kurt's name, which many argue was simply due to the fact that the police had confiscated Kurt's guns prior, and so he didn't want it registered that he also had this gun that they would take away.
1: Right, okay.
0: Dr. Wecht also commented and said that Generally, ruling someone's cause of death could take weeks, especially if you're waiting for the proper procedures to be followed, i.e. toxicology report, which we know was done. However, Kurt's death is ruled a suicide one day after his body is found. Jesus, The coroner who signed the death certificate was Dr. Nicholas uh, Harshoran, who at the time was employed by King County Medical Examiner's, Examiner's Office as a fellowship and had not even received the official accreditation necessary to be a certified examiner. Oh,
1: well, that's just fucking... Also,
0: it's so worth noting, this same guy, Nicholas, was, and and he admitted this himself, was a close friend of Courtney Love. Which, if you believe that she was involved in his death, even for a split second, makes it just an enormous conflict of interest.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Regardless of whether it was a murder, a suicide, he should not have been allowed to do that report because it's a huge conflict of interest.
1: And even remove the idea of that Courtney Love was responsible for the death. To label this as a suicide that quickly and you're a friend Before of the family. Before the toxicology report was But that. you're a friend, even if Courtney Love wasn't involved in the murder, it was a complete suicide.
0: It's a massive conflict of interest. friends with Courtney Love and,
1: yeah. and, and in de facto relationships, with coca bane to rule it that quickly i think they were married yes yes sorry in like uh, but what i mean is like by default you're friends with coca bane because you're friends with calling love yeah because they're both married at this point
0: exactly it's
1: just it doesn't make sense to just be like yeah that's done
0: yeah yeah. and the last uh strange thing that people point out about the gun was that the shell casing from the gun is on the wrong side of Kurt's body to where it should have naturally fallen given the placement of the gun. Right. A lot of people have also pointed out that there's really not a lot of blood. Now, if you've seen someone get shot with a shotgun in, like, movies or crime scene videos, you know a shotgun just... Obliterates everything. Especially
1: a 20 gauge. I mean, we've seen photos, I don't know, a person. Crime scene photos of people having been shot. 12 gauge shotguns to the head, point blank.
0: So a lot of people have pointed out it's very odd that an electrician could stand outside the greenhouse and think that he was asleep because there's no, quote, visible signs of trauma. Lack of blood. When he's shot himself in the head but then a medical examiner also came has come out and said they believe he put the gun in his mouth which would have limited a lot of the blood right. spray okay so the next kind of odd piece of evidence is the suicide note I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's just I feel it's a little bit disrespectful and it's also very sad and if you want to read the whole thing it's on you can find transcripts of yeah. it online. I will read one small sentence from it, which I love in a very sad kind of way. I don't want you to think I'm like, oh my God, it's so cute. I just, I find this...
1: Tragically Tragically
0: beautiful. Yeah. He wrote, the sad little sensitive, unappreciative Pisces. Jesus, man, why don't you just enjoy it? I don't know. Like.
1: That's the thing. Why do you not enjoy... The success, the yeah. life you live. and <laughs> That's the thing. You don't that's fucking the, know why. That's the
0: sad thing about mental illness.
1: You don't know why you can't appreciate the yeah. things you have.
0: Another one of the main arguments about the suicide note, which is focused on a lot in the documentary Soaked in Bleach, is that the top half of the letter and the bottom few sentences of the letter seem to have dramatically different handwriting. And when you do look at the note, you can see that they are quite different looking. And, yeah. and allegedly there was a practice sheet found in Courtney Love's handbag where it looks like someone has practiced trying to mimic his handwriting and the handwriting on this allegedly matches the writing on the bottom of the letter. Huh. But again, as we know from the McCann case, so many different people, sorry, not the McCann case, the JonBenet Ramsey case, so many people have like handwriting analysis is not like a science doesn't hold up it's very much kind of an art form in that people can be very subjective about what they see versus what someone else sees
1: and also it's allegedly this thing was found
0: yeah another report i saw also said that in the same bag was another note that read get arrested which a lot of people surmise courtney had written down as her plan was to get arrested and be behind bars when Kurt's body was found to have an airtight alibi. And this is actually true that on the 5th, when he was allegedly dead, because don't forget they alleged the body was found three days after he shot himself, Courtney was arrested and actually in jail on drug charges. Wow. So a lot of people surmise that she hired someone to kill him teed up her arrest for the day that it happened. Then she got released and she was like, no one's found the body yet. So then she arranged for this electrician to go and install the security oh, and fine. Because right. it also makes you wonder, she hired a private investigator. Was Was his house not the first place they looked?
1: Well, also he's been missing and you've been arrested, whatever, but he's been missing and you don't think to go home? Yeah, and I didn't, see if he's home. That
0: was one of the, like, the little threads on the sweater I didn't want to tuck yeah. out too much because I feel like I would have been down this rabbit hole for hours. So many people believe that the top half of the letter was indeed written by Kurt, but was written as a farewell to his fans as he was quitting the band, which is partially supported by the fact that a few days before his death, the band had pulled out of performing in Lollapalooza after rumors began circulating that they were breaking up. The most ironic part of the entire conspiracy theory, though, is that one of the biggest supporters of the Courtney Love organized to have Kurt Cobain killed is actually the private investigator that she hired to search for him, Tom Grant. Tom Grant has been an incredibly vocal advocate of Kurt's death being a murder orchestrated by Courtney Love to stop Kurt from divorcing her so she could take control of his state. Grant is quoted as saying that the events surrounding the death of Cobain are, quote, filled with lies, contradictions in logic and countless inconsistencies, motivated by profit over truth, as well as a web of business deals and personal career considerations. Courtney Love, her lawyers and many of Courtney's industry supporters have engaged in an effort to keep the public from learning the real facts of this case. Grant has suggested that Cobain was drugged with incredibly high levels of heroin to incapacitate him and then someone else pulled the trigger. He also claims that some of the supporting evidence is circumstantial and explainable. For example, many people say that the greenhouse doors were locked from the inside, meaning that Kurt went in, locked himself in and shot himself. However, Grant has pointed out that this same effect could also be achieved by opening the doors, switching the locks, like moving the deadbolt, and simply pushing the doors closed, thus giving them the appearance of being locked from the inside.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Filmmaker Nick Broomfeld also made attempts to investigate Kurt's death, interviewing many people who knew both Kurt and Love. Broomfield spoke to band The Mentor's leader, Eldon Elduce Deuce Hoke, who claims that Love offered him $50,000 to kill Gabain, which he turned down, but claimed he knew who did it but did not mention a specific name, only mentioning that he'd spoke to someone called Alan before quickly correcting himself and saying, oh, I mean to say my friend. What's super weird about this literally Days after this interview was conducted, Hoke was killed after being struck by a train in the middle of the night.
1: Whoa. <laughs> Holy shit.
0: Very weird.
1: Wow.
0: Now, I do also always like to present things that are factual and support the other side. So on the 20th anniversary of Kurt's death, the case was reopened and reexamined by a detective, Mike who who was interviewed and presented one of the following facts aside from all the other obvious stuff that he believes concretely points to Kurt's death being a suicide. Aside from all the obvious evidence, Mike has also pointed out that the receipts for the purchase of the shells used in the gun match both the time and location where a Seattle cab driver said he dropped off a man matching Kurt's appearance, which makes it pretty obvious that he purchased the shells, which he inevitably used to sadly... Kill himself in his life, but yeah, those that's the kind of main things behind the death of Kurt Cobain. Mm,
1: There's a whole biopic about this whole conspiracy, in fact.
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot more evidence, a lot more information is presented in the documentary Soaked in Bleach, which I do believe is available to watch on Netflix. So, if you're interested in looking into it more, I would recommend that. I know I'm going to be giving it a watch. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Because I didn't get time to watch the whole thing. Yeah. And uh,
1: just a quick side note interesting that we cover a story of suicide on Are You Okay Day day in Australia.
0: I don't know if they have that in America, but we do have a day which is basically a mental health support. Day, mm-hmm. I guess that's the easiest way of summarizing yeah, it. Yeah,
1: it's just a day where, you know, your your friends, your colleagues, people around you just ask, you know, are you okay? Are you dealing with things all right? And what better time to be asking that than now during the global pandemic and, you know, just one of the hardest years I think many people have really endured through. Um, yeah, look- and, and this episode has been kind of one of those... Things as yeah. well where we kind of look at ourselves and look at the people around us and, you know.
0: I'm not a huge advocate of You U OK? Day. Not because I don't think mental health is important. Quite the opposite. Because I feel like a lot of people, much like the performative activism you saw a lot of people have over Black Lives Matter when the yeah. riots were kind of at their peak over the murder of George Floyd... It does seem a little bit performative when you have people who like bullied you in high school posting like, are you okay things on Facebook? And it's like, well, like, we don't just need one day to look at the mental health issues that so many people, we need a massive shift and, you know, daily look at. Into mental health. We need the government to step in and offer more services for people who are suffering from mental health. Like, Granted, we do have it a lot better than other countries, but in Australia, if you apply for the mental health plan, you're only eligible for up to 10 subsidized visits to a psychiatrist, which if you are someone who's from a lower socioeconomic background and you suffer from very severe mental health conditions, that's nothing. Like 10 visits... Is not even like half a year's worth.
1: Yeah, and you, and after ten visits, you could only just be starting to make some sort of progress.
0: And then, for a lot of people, they just can't afford to at all. Yeah, pay for it because actually,
1: how? Uh, sorry, go on.
0: Medicare does, which is our universal healthcare for our American listeners. Medicare does support a portion of it, but again, there are a lot of people who suffer from very severe mental health issues who don't come from backgrounds where they can afford to access the care that they need. So I say take your are you okay day and shove (laughs) it up your ass and instead let's get some actual action and change when it comes to how we support people suffering mental health in this country yeah exactly so that's why I don't like this day and it pisses me off every time it comes around
1: the same can be said about you know black check marks on your Instagram profile for supporting black lives matter like it's a lovely change is more fucking important yeah it's a
0: lovely performative action but if you're not actually doing something behind the scenes to make a difference then it doesn't mean anything
1: yeah like writing a a post on Facebook fucking or sharing something on Instagram, you know, good for you, like whatever, I don't give a shit, it doesn't affect me. me. It's not a bad
0: thing, let me clarify just, that. Let's not- just
1: actually fucking make a difference in the world, let's actually yeah. try to like do something for people, let's just be nicer to each other, try to prevent fucking issues like these from ever actually happening to the people yeah. you, you care about.
0: Because at the end of the day, sharing a post on Instagram mm-hmm. doesn't do shit no. if you're not actually... Making changes in your everyday life. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Basically.
1: The thing that um that pisses me off, not that pisses me off about Are You Okay Day, but the whole trend, the whole bandwagoning thing and trendsetting. setting oh, yeah. The, so I actually had um, a kid in high school, and during high school was when I first started experiencing my personal issues with, you know, suicide and. Um, mental health issues that i de- learned that i had depression anxiety yeah. one of my guiding into these understanding my own mental issues was a kid at high school that i was friends with and was pretty close with during my music classes but at, around other people and in my own friendship group would isolate me and bully me and pick on me and make me feel unwanted in my own friendship circle. Yeah. And that made me feel unwanted and undeserved and obviously not the sole reason why I developed mental health issues or, um, you know, thoughts of, you know, dark things like that. But he was also, years later, I noticed he was part of the whole, you know, that finger okay thing. Yeah, yeah. The it's take, very, take a selfie with the fingers up, you know, yeah. and like suicide prevention thing, and, and I that's felt it
0: beautiful if you mean it, and people you, do change.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: I can also acknowledge that people do change, but it does seem like you have a lot of people who don't appear to care or be involved in the mental health community no. in any way. And if, then suddenly they're posting something on Instagram like it makes if, them if a cultural warrior. If you do experience
1: warrior. this change, like I'm a different person now, I was a piece of shit then and now I understand that mental health issues are a thing, fucking admit it. Make a post yeah. on Facebook saying, hey guys, that's
0: way more powerful. high school, I was I a bit was of a dick. bully. Yeah. yeah, I
1: made someone feel like shit and I. if you have ever felt like shit because of something I've done, reach out to me and I'll personally apologize. Not just jumping on a fucking bandwagon saying, yeah. I nominate my mate Dicko and Harry <laughs> to do the fucking okay thing. Gaza! Yeah, like it's just a fucking thing where you can yeah. share it around and go, hey, check out me, ladies. I'm a mental health advocate.
0: Anyway, that's my little agony aunt rant for, yeah. the, for the week. It just kind of... You know one of those things where it just every time it pops up, like your eye twitches a little bit and you're like, oh, yeah. I don't know if I like that.
1: And it's not necessarily the thing itself. It's just the, the connotations around It's a lovely
0: concept, it. but it needs to be backed up by real action and change. Yeah,
1: it's like if Gladys Berejiklian was like, I feel for the Aboriginal community. It's like, okay, well, like, what are you doing about it? do something about it, yeah. You know? I feel for the koalas that are being tormented and t- taken from the, uh, their homes and their environments. Okay, what are you doing about that?
0: I would also like to drop a little truth bomb of knowledge for any of our American listeners who may not know this because um I had a few people in my little Twitter group that I blew their minds. You may not know that most koalas have chlamydia, and I'm not making yeah, that up. Yeah, that's a real Google thing. It. It's a real thing. They may look cute, but they're all little STI chlamydia demons. So
1: once this virus thing is over and you come to Australia, don't fuck the koala bears. They will give (laughs) you chlamydia. that would be
0: their first thought. Yeah. (laughs) As a tourist to Australia, I'm going to have sex with a koala. I want to
1: fuck that bear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, if you don't believe me, you can Google it. I I swear to God I'm not making that up. Like 90% of koalas have chlamydia. Real thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was a
1: maybe Random it's the eucalyptus truth
0: bomb what is your thing that oh actually run yes. us through the cocktail that we were going to have okay so and the we cocktail, tried it and it was not our cup of tea
1: the cocktail we were going to have was the algonquin algonquin sorry cocktail so it's a cocktail just stemming of whiskey dry vermouth and pineapple juice and It's nice if you like a dry martini style drink. It's just not a nice cocktail.
0: Yeah. You know, it's not.
1: If you like martinis, then it's a good thing because you know pineapple juice is very thin, and it doesn't make for a a very syrupy or sweet drink. It's it's very Negroni esque, but without. Oh,
0: maybe I would like it then.
1: You might, maybe. I'm just not a. I don't think I'm a fan of the, of um, vermouth. I think that's my thing.
0: Yeah, you don't like. Yeah. I think
1: that. I think that might be my thing. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, let's talk about what we're grateful for.
0: Yeah, what are you grateful for this week?
1: I'm grateful that in New South Wales our cases of COVID, COVID. aren't dramatically high and in fact i think they're reducing day by day it's it's in somewhat you know it's kind of fluctuating but i'm grateful that we don't have as many cases and we can comfortably go and experience things like we did on this past week's weekend we did a little you know pie trip we that was really fun. found some really nice pies but it was a long day though yeah um, shout out to my friend, Josh McDonald. We didn't try the one you suggested, but we will next time. We had a little to nice be fair, little... we
0: had like five pies yeah, each in one day. Like, it was a lot of pies.
1: We had a little nice bush trip. And the couple of days before, we went to this really cool bar in um, Sydney. If you're ever in Sydney and you want to check out a cool bar, check out this place. Old Mate's Place. We very cool. We loved that place. It was delicious. It's very cool. What about you, Laura?
0: My grateful thing is... For those who don't know me personally, I'm a bit of like a type A personality. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I hate being bad at things. Like I was that kid when I was little that tried like 17 different sports until I found something that I was naturally good at because I just can't handle being bad at things. (laughs) And I started doing pole dancing lessons at the start of the week. And I'm fucking terrible at it. (laughs) I'm so uncoordinated. Like I did one movement and I was like, oh, I did it. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, I'm backwards. I'm not supposed to be facing this direction. (laughs) But I had so much fun. I'm doing like a five-week intro course. And then if I enjoy the five weeks, I'm going to keep doing classes. But I was very grateful that as an adult, I tried something that was super outside of my comfort zone. I was terrible at it. And I still had fun.
1: Yeah, I think it's humbling, really. So I
0: was very grateful for that. Because you know what I'm like, I oh. hate doing things I'm bad at. Oh, like I will are, give up.
1: You are just the worst <laughs> with that.
0: Like if I'm good you, at something, you,
1: lo- you yeah.
0: If I am naturally good at something from the get go, I will pursue it till my dying day. Yeah, but
1: I don't think you're ever naturally good at something. It's I was just- naturally
0: good at horse riding, which is why I did it for like 16 years. Well,
1: you were not. Na- you were in an environment where it was readily available for you to do. Mm. And it was something when you're younger, you don't have the sense of, I'm 28 years old, I should know how to do this thing.
0: Oh no, I was still like that as a child.
1: But less so now than now, for sure. I'm I'm sure you were, and I'm sure you think you were, but I think it's completely different to how you think now. As a kid, you're more impressionable, you have more time to to develop these skills. It's like, and as a child it's much more easier to develop skills than you are mm. at the age you are now.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I was pretty neurotic as a child. Yeah. But, but
1: they actually, they've actually they actually done um, many different psychological studies on how developing skills as children is actually much more beneficial than learning it later on in your life yeah. because you develop it, you learn well, it Well, it's all to do
0: with your neural pathways and yeah. they're easier to manipulate and your brain is a lot more uh, plastic when you're yeah. younger. Yeah. It's very interesting. There's a very interesting novel... Uh, the brain that changes itself. If you're interested in uh, neuroplasticity and all that sort of stuff, it's a very interesting. Read. Would highly recommend.
1: Yeah, I guess that's kind of it. Um, yeah,
0: I don't really have anything else to talk about. Do you?
1: Do you want to do our code word for the week? Because I've done them so far. Do you want to? Do you want to do? Um,
0: a little code word. Yeah, the code word for this week. Is connect the dots. Connect
1: the dots. <laughs> nice. The first thing that popped into right. my head. But sure. Reach out to us. Give us give the us code a word. word. We'll
0: give you a little shout out in next week's episode to thank you because I think both of us still find it so cool that yeah. people actually listen to this show and listen all the way to the end.
1: Yeah. Because really we were
0: cool. like, well, there's obviously people who are tuning in for the crime, but like no one's listening. I think we both assumed it was just our friends that are listening at yeah. this point, and everyone just abandoned ship as soon as we stopped talking about. crime. Until
1: like a couple of episodes, I thought it was like really realistically, you don't realize it's people other than just your friends listening to these. Sh- the yeah, I thought shows. it was like
0: just my mom, and then I found out that my mom doesn't even listen to yeah. the shows.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I talked <laughs> well, to my, shit. I talked to my mom about it, and she does the.
0: Oh wow. <laughs> It's like
1: cool. Thanks, mom. <laughs> My
0: mom did try. She tried listening to a few episodes. I think there's too much swearing. For yeah, I, and I, little I, I mom. Th- I feel
1: like for people their age, too, it's like true crime isn't really their kind of thing. Yeah. Except cool. for um, obviously we have a lot of um, people in their 40s and 50s and even 60s who actually have reached out to us. Yeah. Who listen to the show? We got a good little really community. Cool. It's very yeah. cool a good mix of and that's how you know the, we we like it you know we like to have a good mix it makes of me people. we're a ve- very welcoming show to, contrary to what one American w- woman believes yeah. we're a very welcoming show of all people of all from you walks of life you can be
0: whatever you want to be yeah. we do not give a shit really all we're doing is we're seeking the validation from strangers on the internet that we didn't get in high school that's what this yeah. is for let's yeah. be real
1: just to give us our, our own evaluations <laughs> We've gotten to that point where we can look at ourselves and go, wow, we're really fucked up in the head, aren't yeah. we? Yeah,
0: <laughs> I do. It's really quite funny when I'm... Because obviously I, I listen to our show to check that the audio is all fine when it goes live. Yeah. But I listen to a bunch of other true crime podcasts and it's kind of funny when I like get in the elevator at work and I've got this like American podcaster being like, and then he removed the head and he had sex with his mother's neck. And it's like... <laughs> in my headphones, and I'm like, I wonder what this person next to me in the elevator would think if they knew what I was actually listening to.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Like when it's someone... All
0: I listen to, it's either like violent true crime or it's Taylor Swift. Like yeah. there's no in between.
1: There was um recently a podcast that Joe Rogan had with Miley Cyrus, which is a very good podcast. Oh, I like she that. dragged yeah. Um, But they're talking about... True crime and how people listen to true crime, and it's perplexing for them to to imagine that people listen to that kind of stuff. Oh,
0: Miley Cyrus was not a fan.
1: Not a fan. Oh, I yeah. don't know why they, I they found it,
0: her as someone who would.
1: They found it be odd that. that people would be interested in that kind of thing, and that there must be something wrong with them. But oh, I feel like that's well, just a fuck difference. You, Joe
0: Rogan, you're bald.
1: I feel like that's just a difference in things that you're. The way your brains yeah. are. Like, it's like, like
0: how I can't contemplate that people like watching cricket. It's so boring.
1: Yeah. But also, to these me, are, you're, we're boring. talking about people who are who think and behave completely different to yeah, us. Exactly. Like Joe Rogan, someone who's obsessed with fitness, and Miley Cyrus is a teen pop star who grew into a even bigger young adult pop star. Mm, very you know, true. someone who's been. I don't know why. I just always picked her as someone her who life. would be
0: interested in true crime, but different. Folks, different strokes. She's a
1: fan of Drag Race, though. That's all that matters. Yeah, my bitch.
0: Except <laughs> we're, just, we're just not going to talk about Canada's Drag Race. We're yeah, just going we to forget gonna. that season yeah. never happened. R.I.P. Lemon. We're just going to pretend that it stopped at season 12 and there hasn't been anything, except yeah. All Stars. I liked yeah. All Stars.
1: R.I.P. Lemon and Jimbo. They don't, They aren't dead, but in spirit they are. <laughs> in, anyway, drag spirit in Drag Race spirit Drag Race spirit.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else to say except... Uh, Buy our merch. Yeah. Send us cash on... No, I'm kidding. You don't have to... <laughs> I really genuinely don't want anyone ever listening to the show to feel, like, pressured into giving us money. Yeah. Like, if you're not in a posi- position... If you want to, great. But if you're not in, like, a position to financially do it, we appreciate every single person that listens to the show. Yeah. We will continue to do this show for free, Forever. You're never getting rid of it. For
1: sure. And what would be dope actually is if you did share this podcast yeah. and these episodes with your share friends or people Word who know it because then that then helps us to achieve milestones in reaching out to companies for Sponsors, sponsorships and that, sponsor. and that does help fund the show. Yeah. So inadvertently you're helping us continue the show that you like listening to. So that 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 if you can do that, and you are willing to do that. That would be share a huge the show,
0: help. leave us a review, More than anything. follow us on socials. Just like I think we're pretty approachable. Like shoot us a message, say hi. Yeah, I always write back.
1: In 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 um, I love talking theme, to
0: strangers on the internet.
1: In theme with this whole episode, if you are some, you need someone to talk to. Where. Here yeah, a hundred percent.
0: That sounds like I know everyone says that, and it sounds really cheesy, but genuinely, like a lot of the time, it can be so much easier to talk to yeah. a stranger yeah. than it is to talk to someone you know. So, if you are out there, if you're struggling with your mental health, sh- chuck us a message. Like and we are we'd people who
1: who have been through, you know, our, our own different individual things that we we know you know where you're coming from if you want to reach out to us and we'd love to
0: hear from you so absolutely yeah chuck us a message say hey
1: we love all your faces yeah we very much appreciate you guys
0: but thanks for tuning in we are best served cold uh the bsc podcast on all things social media
1: yep thank you to podcorn for sponsoring this
0: episode and we'll see you next week Bye. bye